Now, we're in the, at the beginning, really, of our starting point series. This is week two in our series. This series just contains the basics about what we believe as a church about critical and foundational issues. Right? So we started last week and said uh, the basis of all of it are the Scriptures. Right? They are our authority. When you see something one way and I see something another way, Who's right? Who's wrong? Does it really matter? Well, I don't know. We look to the scriptures, first of all, to see what is the right answer. And sometimes it's even not definitive, right? So it's okay if you think one thing and I think something else. But when the scriptures are clear, that's the way we want to go. And so as we're unfolding this series that will later become a class, we're asking, what does the Bible have to say about? Last week, it was about the Bible, okay? The internal evidence, the external evidence, the things that make us believe that it is truth. If you missed that sermon, uh, you can go to our website, choicec.org, and listen to it. Okay? Today we're going to break open and look at what does the Scripture say about sin and salvation. Okay? This is the message of the Gospel. The good news about Jesus as it relates to every one of us. Okay, I'm going to share with you what some have called like the gospel on a napkin. Okay? It's just a simple um, drawing, a simple understanding based on one verse of scripture that you could share with your kids, that you could share with your friends, you could share on a napkin at a restaurant. Um, if you don't have a bulletin, you can write it on the back of the envelope that's in, the car, in that seat in front of you. Just a way to understand the gospel in a very simple way. Okay? Now one verse that summarizes the gospel we're going to look at this morning, Romans 6.23. says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so if, I've left room for you in the notes section of your bulletin. Again, if you don't have one, you can grab it of an envelope. Why don't you just put at the top of that, Romans 6.23. Okay, and on the left side, I want you to write, on your left side, <laughs> I want you to write, man, and on the right side, I want you to write God. Okay? Now remember, like at the begin, in the beginning, the Bible tells us that there was nothing that separated man from God. And you might remember back in Genesis 2 that it says that God created man. And afterwards, we read that God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, it said. And they had perfect, unhindered, unseparated fellowship but to make sure okay, that they had free will God created one realistic opportunity for Adam and Eve to disobey him okay? they had to be able to choose their own path and so God says to Adam in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay? Sometime later, God created Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, we read that Satan approached Eve or came to Eve in the garden in the form of a snake. And she tempts, and, and tempts Eve, and she did the one thing that God said not to do. Right? She ate of the fruit. And she sinned against God. Okay? 
And after that, we read that Eve turns to her poor, defenseless husband, (laughs) who was right there the whole time. And he eats. And some have concluded, I think rightly so, that maybe the first sin was the husband who would sit passively by and watch his wife do the one thing God said not to do. We watch a lot of passive men and we watch a lot of sin in families because of it. Either way, the two of them sinned against God. And they're removed from the Garden of Eden. And as a result, sin separated mankind. So on our drawing, we just draw a big line down the middle. No longer are they in unhindered fellowship. Now there's a, there's a, a barrier between God and man, and that barrier is sin. Now there are three key words in the first half of Romans 6.23. I want you to write down the left-hand side there. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So write wages and sin and death, because they, they, they tell a story. We think about wage as a good context, right? It's something you earn or something you deserve for the work that you have done. Okay? In this particular case, though, it's negative. I mean, what we have earned, the wages of our sin or our disobedience to God, is death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? Now, you might believe that or you might not, so I'm, I'm going to give you a test to help you out this morning and see how you're doing on this. I'm, we're just going back to the basics, okay? The Ten Commandments that are listed in Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to list them. I'm going to give you a description, a little bit of them, and I'm going to ask you to keep track of how many of them that you have kept the, entire, the entirety of your life. Okay? And at the end of it, we'll see how we have done. So here we go. Number one from Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay? So if you've never made anything more important than God in your life, okay, you count that as one. <laughs> Number two, he says you shall not make a graven image and bow down to it. Now, now you know you can make idols of anything, right? Uh, money, cars, uh, relationships, a boat, a job, a dream, a preacher, you know, whatever, whatever, right? all kinds of things. <laughs> but today I'm going to make it easy for you. Like if you've never carved something and then bowed down to it, like you can count that as one so that maybe you at least have one here on your list. You'll probably have more, but I don't know. All right, number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, okay? Or take God's name in vain it might say, in a different translation. So if you've never used a popular phrase flippantly, oh my God, if you've never used Jesus' name as a swear word, if you've never sung songs in worship, like the words are coming out of your mouth, but you're thinking about the car ride you had here, what you have going on this afternoon, um, the Cardinals getting destroyed in two games, and anything like that, right? It just, if, if, if you've been like totally dialed in, you're good. If not, maybe not. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So if you have always set aside one day for worship, 
and rest, mark it on your list. Number five, honor your father and mother. Now, if you've always obeyed your parents when you were young, and you've always honored them in your adult years, check it off the list. Number six, you shall not murder. Now, Jesus said if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. It's the same thing. But if you've never murdered anyone, check it on your list. Number seven, you should not commit adultery. Okay, so if you have always been sexually pure, if you've been faithful to your wife or to your husband, if you've never crossed the line that Jesus drew when he said, if you have lust in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. Okay, if you're good, then check that on your list. Number eight, you should not steal. Okay, so if you've never stolen anything, like never money out of your mom's purse when you were young, okay, never change out of your friend's couch when you were in college, okay, not an answer off someone else's test, nothing from work. If you've never stolen anything, count that. Number nine, you should not lie. Okay, so if you never told a, a white lie or never exaggerated the truth, to make yourself look better, check it off the list. And number 10, you should not covet. If you've never wished for something that belonged to someone else, so bad that you're tempted to break one of those other commandments we just talked about, okay, to get it, then count that as one. Okay? So how'd you do? We'll do a raise of hands. Like If you did all 10, if you're good on all 10, you've never broken them, raise your hand. <laughs> that's right <laughs> couple of you like adjust your glasses I'm like this sold right there alright no, none for ten how about nine how about eight All right. well you are equally as evil as the first service people that we just finished with and my hand didn't go up either right um, I'm kind of glad right it gets a bit awkward like when your preacher has to get down to zero before he raises his hand, you're thinking, what in the world we call this guy around here for? Right? Can you imagine standing before a holy God, giving an account of every sin that you have ever committed? By the way, um, how many sins do you have to commit before you become a lawbreaker? One. The book of James chapter 2 verse 10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Well, Jesus said that one day, that we'll stand before God and actually even give an account for every idle word that's spoken. Okay? And when you think about these sins, these are like just the sins that we've committed. Okay? What about not just the sins of commission, but the sins of omission, meaning when, when we should have done things that we didn't do. Right? Again, from the book of James, this time it's chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, what's it say? Sins. sins. Yeah. And then there's sins of the heart. Okay? 
Jesus talks about lust. He talks about greed. He talks about envy that may or may not show themselves in actions, but the inside, he said, that's dark. And what about the sins of our motives? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that we will be judged by the the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So even when we do the, the right thing for the wrong reasons. Can you just picture yourself standing before God with all your sin laid bare? Can you imagine saying to him, well, I think I'm good enough. (laughs) Like you grade on the curve, right? I don't think so. We don't find that in the scriptures. Or maybe you think, well, I've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things. Uh, James 2 kind of took that option off the table for us. And maybe you just think like a lot of people think, that God's just going to let you in heaven because you're who you're not. Like, I'm not Hitler. I'm not Bin Laden. I'm not Bundy. I'm not fill in the blank. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. Good people don't. Only perfect people do. Like that, like that knocks me out. You lost me on the list of ten. Okay? Much less on those sins of omission or those sins of the heart or those sins of motive or those idle words that are spoken. I pass none of the tests. Remember Romans 6.23? Result, the wages of sin is death. It's what we get paid for what we've done. Okay, death or eternal separation from God in hell. When the Bible says death, that's what it means by death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin entered the world through one man and through death and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Okay. Now I told you up front we we're gonna talk about good news, but that's not good news. Like that's reality. Apart from the work of God and the work of Jesus, that is where all of us stand. That word all is throughout the scripture when it talks about our sin. But that's only the first half of the verse. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, the pivotal word in the whole verse is the word but. For the wages of sin is death, but. It's not the end of the story. God before the beginning of time, provided for our redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So on your diagram that you're writing, at the bottom of that line, I want you to write the word but. And above that line, I want you to write the word Jesus. Then I want you to make a line from man to God in the form to form a cross, okay, purposefully in that way. But, some call this the bridge illustration. Because the cross bridges the gap that was created between our sin and a holy God. Remember the words from John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came, but Jesus came. And he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Okay? You couldn't do it. And with regard to your sin, you and I, we couldn't undo it. We couldn't pay the price. So Jesus 
paid the price for us to make things right. Like the one person who could have raised his hand, yes, I followed all ten of them. One person who didn't deserve to die. He's the one who died in our place. The cross provides the bridge for us to walk once again with God because it removes that barrier of sin that has now been paid for so us and God can be one once again. Now, why, why did God do that? I mean, why didn't He, as a, a loving God, just wipe our sins away? Well, the why is because God is not just a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. He can't decide no longer to be just, just like light can't decide to be darkness. God has to do what is right. And because He is just and because He is fair, all the sins had to be paid for. But He loved us so much that before the beginning of time, He planned to come down in human form. Like the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, comes to earth as a man. And he lives a sinless life and he dies on the cross specifically to pay for our sins. Like the cross, it satisfies God's justice while at the same time it displays his love. He is equally loving and equally just. And both of them had to be satisfied. And in the cross, he did both. Okay? So let's talk about the right side of our chart. The second half. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God offers us a gift compared to what we earn. Okay? You can't earn salvation. You can't do enough good things to make things right with God. Jesus had to do it and he had to offer it to you and to myself as a gift. All right? But the gift of God, now I've added the word holiness to the chart as we're making these things because, because God is holy, right? And he makes us holy so that we can experience the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we cross over from death to life. That, to me, is amazing. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 6, we read these words. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless over sin, Christ died for the ungodly. So he wipes away our sins, and he gives us eternal life, and then he adopts us as his children. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And the difference between the left side of that diagram and the right side of that diagram is amazing. And it only becomes, only is possible because Jesus died on that cross. Now let me try to illustrate with a story. Okay? Imagine that you've committed a sin, okay? a crime sin, right? And it's so bad that the minimum sentence for that crime is 15 years in a maximum security prison. Okay? You know you did it. Everyone else knows that you did it. Okay? The amount of evidence is, is um, heavily weighted. 
right? And the case is, is uh, it's tight. Uh, you know you're going down. And yet you, you feel not as bad about it because guess what? Your dad is the judge. <laughs> you think this is going to work out okay until the day comes and you stand before your dad on sentencing day and you plead guilty because that was the agreement and your dad brings down the gavel and sentences you to 15 years in a maximum security prison. And your heart sinks. Like, I didn't see this coming. That was my dad, and my life is over. But then your dad gets up off the bench, and he takes off his robe. And he walks down, and he goes over to the bailiff, and he holds out his hands to be handcuffed. And everyone starts to realize that dad had a plan all along. And as he's being taken away, he looks at you, and he says, my child. Like, I couldn't just let you go. That would be, that would not be justice. But I love you too much to see you go to prison. So I'm going for you. That's what God did for us. Like it's a, it's a tight case. <laughs> He's got us on this sin issue, right? And yet he loved us so much that God came down and became a man lived in a way that we have never been able to, died a death so we didn't have to, so that we could live in a way that we would never be able to were it not for the grace of God and eternity in heaven. So when you look at this picture, where do you see yourself? That's the key question in the whole equation. Like if you drew a picture of yourself, would you put yourself on the left side? Or would you put yourself on the right side? Or maybe you would think that you would put yourself like right in the middle. If you're on the left side, you're like still trying to make your own way. Still trying to do things good enough. Hoping that God's going to grade on the curve. Or, or maybe you've just given up on trying and decided you're never going to make the cut anyway. And so you just decided you're going to camp out on the left side because that's where you belong. Or maybe you feel like you're right on that line, like not really sure where you are with God. Today you could change either of those answers. Today you can receive the gift talked about in that verse that's offered to you and to me and to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And listen, look at that, those words. And will not be judged. But has crossed over from death to life. Because of the cross, I will not have to stand face to face with God and give an account for every sin in my life, for every idle word that was spoken, for the things I did and the things I didn't do and the things I thought and the times I did what I did for the wrong reason because all of that penalty and shame and price was paid when Jesus died on the cross. Now that's a gift. How do you get that gift? The Bible says you believe it. You receive the gift that's been offered. You can't get there on your own, but you can trust in Him. 
You'll hear us when someone's in the, in the baptistry, we'll ask them to repeat these words, the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. Okay. You, know, you probably, like me, have heard people criticize Christians over the years as, as being really proud, like thinking they're so much better than other people. Okay, the truth is just the opposite. Right? If, you're, if you're a genuine believer who's received this gift, the only way you could have received the gift is by humbling yourself and admitting that you are not good enough to get to heaven on your own. So my, my salvation isn't based on my pride. It's simply based on trusting God to fulfill his promise of forgiveness and salvation. Do you believe that? Will you believe that? Now, churches have all different ways of signifying the moment when a person gives their life to Jesus. Some will say, you know, you pray a prayer. Others will say, write your name on a card and and check a box. Some will say, we're going to have someone pray over you. Someone would say, you know, raise your hand if, if... You've accepted Jesus. Here's how we do it at Troy Christian Church. Okay? We started last week talking about the authority of the Bible over us in the church. And we're convinced that the Bible tells us that when someone makes a profession of faith and a commitment to Jesus, that that's followed by baptism. Okay? In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them. And teach them. In the book of Acts, every time someone makes a decision to give their life to Jesus, okay, they're baptized that day. Baptism was the mark on you. That's why we make a big deal of it. Now, in, in a few weeks, we're just going to look at this as one of our What the Bible Says About in this series. Okay? Several, probably five weeks away or something. Because we think it's important that you know why we do what we do. And again, that is based on what the scriptures say. So we'll have a baptism emphasis on that day. And, and if that's where you're at, you might think that day you might leave wet. Okay? And that would be good. But even better, why not today? Five weeks is a long time. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So if God is calling you, if you understand exactly what's going on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, you can go home knowing that you've crossed over from death to life today. Baptism is that benchmark in your life. The Bible says it represents the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus it represents that sin that's on the left side of the chart being buried. Okay? Dead, that old person who's characterized by sin, raised up a new person, clean, forgiven. If you've never trusted Jesus, today would be the day to take that step of faith. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And if you want to make that decision, I would invite you to join me in the back, and let's talk about it. Let's pray together. Father, um, 
Your word is truth. The reality of it is sometimes heavy. And the reality of it is sometimes freeing. And you've let us choose our reality. Thank you for that. It wouldn't be possible on our own. It is possible through Jesus. And we celebrate today the good news that though we were dead in our sins, we can be alive in Christ with the hope of eternity. Not just the hope in this life, but the hope for the life to come. We thank you, Father, for your gift. In Jesus' name.